This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello, and welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. My name is Bob Asman, and I'm your host for this podcast. We're glad you've joined. And I think we've got a really interesting podcast lined up for you today. We've got two individuals that are building uh, and disrupting the car buying experience. And I'm really pleased that they're joining me today. Uh, Zach and Ray Jeffska are joining me. And Zach and Ray, uh, please take a minute, if you would, to introduce yourself to our listeners before we get into the meat of the podcast. Well, my name's Ray Shevska. I spent uh, 43 years in the retail automotive industry, um, starting as a salesperson, working my way up into upper management, general management, and, and uh, back down to sales management. And I'd like to say I, I probably spent time as a porter, a car washer, and a lot attendant. Um, but uh, during those 43 years, I I figured out some of the things that uh, are wrong with the car business and some of the things that need to be changed in the car business. So, and, and even though I retired, my son wouldn't let me stay that way. I love it. <laughs> thanks for joining us, Ray. Zach? Yeah, Bob, thanks so much for having us. Uh, we really appreciate being here. My name is Zach Shevska. That was my dad who you're just listening to. Um, yeah, I, uh, I got into this space because I was really passionate about actually not seeing my dad. Um, so before working on YAA, Your Advocate Alliance, uh, I was working at a software company, um, super worthy mission. We were helping nonprofits raise, raise money, um, which was really great and everything. But I felt like I'd hit my ceiling there. My dad had retired. Um, unfortunately, my mom, his wife had passed away. And every night for about six months, I kept calling my dad on my drives home. And I was like, I want to do something different. I'd always been entrepreneurial. Um, my sophomore year at the University of Pittsburgh, I was the student that had 700 pounds of protein bars delivered to the dorm shipping room because a promotion on Reddit did exceptionally well. My marketing teacher still did not appreciate that I skipped <laughs> class for that entire week. All that to say, those phone calls home became like therapy sessions with my dad. And eventually he cracked and he said, how can I help you? And uh, I got him behind my phone. We started making YouTube videos, teaching people the ins and outs of the car dealership. The business behind the scenes has had multiple iterations, but the North Star has stayed unchanged. How can you help make buying a car owning a car, selling a car? How can you make that all a better, more fair, and more equitable experience for consumers? And uh, yeah, I feel super fortunate that I get to do this with my dad. We've been working on it for about two years now, have an awesome team uh, with us as well, and um, really, really passionate about solving this problem. Great having you on as well, Zach. Uh, in, and in full transparency to our listeners, I'm a customer of YAA, uh, encountered them little over a year ago and was really blown away by uh, the assistance they gave me in purchasing 
uh, a couple of automobiles and service agreements and some other things that we'll talk about as we get into the podcast. But uh, that's the reason I was so excited to have them join the podcast is because uh, they're practitioners, they're experienced professionals, and they're disrupting the market. And so that being said, we heard a little bit, Ray, about how you got into this after 40 years in the car business. But how did you how did you think about this, uh, Zach and Ray, in terms of building a business around this? Zach, you said you you talk to your dad every night for six months. <laughs> I've got to do something different. But how does that how does that idea kind of take shape and form? Tell us the the beginnings and what your thought process was around it. Yeah. So um, and it's probably worthy context for your audience, just to give some perspective here. So YAA, we're venture backed. We've raised nearly $5 million in venture capital, and we've got about 20-ish people that touch the business nowadays. So like, there's many, many different forms of business that, that can, can play in this space. And, and to give you some context even more deeply, the first iteration was, we're going to offer a service where we help buy cars for people. We do the legwork for them. And I am forever grateful and also forever pained that we did that. Because at that time, Bob, the business was me, my dad, and my co-founder, uh, Arash, um, and, and Arash's wife, Sharon, who got pulled into a lot of the work as well. So the way that we thought about starting the business was educate people. So we created the YouTube videos and, and, and we did a good job there. Build trust with people. The YouTube videos were very helpful in that. And then offer a service to just solve the pain point for them. And that service was give us a $500 or $250 deposit. Tell us what car you want. We'll take care of everything else. And then pay us another $250. And I got to tell you, it was an incredible experience because we, we use Stripe. I'm sure your audience is familiar with the, the, the payment processor. And in a, in a span of a week, we went from having $0 in our Stripe account to $50,000 in our Stripe account, which meant that me and my dad, and I'll, I'll let him share this part of the story, we went from sleeping, I don't know, how much did we sleep back then? Like before, pre, pre, pre-spike. Oh, before you got me involved, I slept really well. And then and I, and I slept often and I was able to take naps like any retired human being would. And yeah. and and when we had the 50,000 in Stripe. I was working 16 hours a day thinking to myself, I thought I gave this up. I What am I doing here? So we're both on the phone with dealers. We're on the phone with our customers. I mean, it was a complete, uh, it was chaos. It was absolute. It was, it, it was a situation where we quickly realized that we couldn't provide the level of customer experience and satisfaction that a customer is, is, uh, should be entitled to, entitled to mm -hmm. when it comes to dealing with somebody that's trying to help them buy a car. Um, and we realized that basically we were, um, working as brokers, trying to broker the deal, we would, we would find the car, we would negotiate the car deal, we would negotiate all the terms, we would go back and forth and finally get everybody to agree to say yes. And that was so time consuming, that even if somebody would have paid us a 1000 or 1500 hours to do it, it just didn't make sense. It, it just, I mean, literally, I was working 14, 16 hours a day, uh, trying to keep things from falling through the cracks. Um, 
and doing a hell of a job on behalf of the customers when you think about it. I mean, we, the, the customers we were able to help were really appreciative of the service that we provided, um, but it was not sustainable, especially for somebody that was retired. <laughs> so ultimately, ultimately what ended up happening is we, I made it, I made the decision um, to, to pause the business to say, this is not sustainable. It's not scalable. Mm. Um, and we refunded about, I don't know, 40,000 of the 50,000. We helped finish servicing the, the final few. And I went to a rush and my dad was there and, and we said, okay, how do we, how do we provide some help, but maybe not all the help? And I think Bob, that's, that's probably when you were getting familiar with YA and, you know, we thought to ourselves, well, the dealership, they have all sorts of information that the consumer doesn't have. And that was a pivot for us away from providing just the service experience to as a consumer, I just want to be on a level playing field with the dealership. And we started building our software, our market price reports, our vehicle search, things like that. And our knowledge, my knowledge, I should say, my dad knew all this stuff beforehand, but my knowledge of the space crew. And what I mean by that is there's more than just buying a car. There's also the finance and insurance component. And those are areas where as consumers, we are also disadvantaged and it's not particularly equitable. And hell, those products are incredibly profitable. And so that's when we started to build business relationships, to be able to sell service contracts. And even to this day, you know, we're working on tire and wheel protections, gap insurance, things like that. So our business really shifted. We, we cut our teeth in trying to operate a service business. We knew that we needed to build trust and have that authenticity with an audience and educate them. And nowadays, we're really focused on a, a hybrid of providing you know, folks with information and access to resources that they previously wouldn't have had access to. And they pay a premium for that. They, be, they, they pay us for access to that. It's not, we're, we're not biased. We're not like a, I hate to say it, but like a true car, you know, we don't, we don't actually get paid by the dealership. And so have some, um, you know, uh, uh, disjointed uh, or illusioned um, perspective on who we're trying to serve. But we also have a hybrid. We also pair people with car coaches. You sign up for our service. If you want a live chat, if you want a phone call, you've got a car coach on the other end. That's there to answer that question, to support you through the process. And so that's kind of, a long-winded way of addressing your initial question about how we got into this space. Well, Zach, I think, uh, thanks for that. It's, what, what comes across to me is, you know, that old adage about uh, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him how to fish, feed him for a lifetime. I think what you're doing with consume, the buying consumers that we are is you're you're, you said it, you're educating us. So you're not just giving us the information, you're educating us. So we're becoming smarter consumers when we're buying an automobile. And let's face it, it's a huge purchase these days. It's a lot of money. And, and many people just don't enjoy it because they've had bad experiences in the past. That, that approach about you know, teaching us how to fish, I think is, is rather unique. And, and I'm curious as to did that evolve in your thought process? Because it feels to me like you're building this experience from the core. And that's a problem for many of our listeners is they're trying to put an experience onto a, you know, a sinking ship or a burning platform. And yet you seem to be building the experience as part of your DNA. Am I, am I sensing that correctly? Yeah, I, I think that's really well said, Bob. I would say, and it's, it's worth really understanding, I don't want to say I'm not passionate about helping people make the second largest financial transaction of their life more equitable and fair. I am very passionate about that. I am more passionate 
of the resentment that I actually held towards my dad because I never saw him growing up. So the reason that I am really fixed and will stay fixed on solving this problem and disrupting this existing um, uh, you know, experience that consumers go through is honestly to change the dealership side. That role that he had to work, the, his compensation, and you can speak to this, but your compensation was tied to holding as much gross profit as possible on a customer. How do you hold more gross profit? Well, the more I can grind them down, the more gross profit I'll hold. Now you, and we've had this conversation, Pops, you don't think you progressed as far in your career because you were not unethical on how you actually executed your role. That being said, you were never at soccer practice. You were never at the basketball games. I never saw you growing up. And Bob, when I reconciled that my dad was a good person, he was just in an industry that took advantage of him to then take advantage of other people. When that clicked, which was right, right around when my mom passed away, so about four years ago now, that's when I realized, like, I shouldn't hate my dad. I should love the guy. He, he gave us a middle-class life. We went on vacation every other summer when we could afford to. I want to fix that because there's tens of thousands of other people that are doing this job, mm. trying to hold gross profit just so that they can get paid a little bit more because this whole system's broken. And damn it, like fixing that problem is really, really worthy. And it's really durable. And that's not going to change 10 years from now, unless someone like us is working on it. The existing solutions, the incumbents in the space, they don't think about it like this. They just think, can we make a little bit more money for our dealer partners? Can we make a little bit? It's such BS, if you ask me. If, if I may. Um, yeah, a lot of what we do is to educate consumers. But in my mind, um, a lot of our impact is, well, educating the dealers and the dealer body in that just because they've done something one way for as long as they've done it, that doesn't mean it's necessarily the only way to do it or even the best way to do it. So that part of my passion is, yeah, I want to make it fair for, for the customers, but I want the dealers to recognize that there's a, there's a different approach that they could take that in the long run, if as Zach likes to say, they want to play the long game instead of the short game in the long run, if they were to change some of the ways that they, they go about selling their products, it would be beneficial and more financially rewarding for them, as well as making it a better experience for the customer. So the education is not just for the consumers, but it's also for the dealers to change the way they think. And I'm, I'm happy to say that we have some folks in our community um, that are former dealers and have mentioned that we are impacting the industry much more than we might actually think we are. Um, and that's, as I like to say, I don't know if, if I'll live long enough to see the changes that I think are necessary, um, but I'm pretty sure Zach will, unless he kills himself this weekend running the marathon in Austin. Uh, There's a uh, chance. <laughs> Zach, you're coming to Austin, Texas? I am. I am uh, supposedly running the marathon. I love it. That's where I'm based in Austin, Texas. So <clears throat> fantastic. Uh, weather I, I, should be good. It so should. Can I ask a question, Ray, about what you said? It, my reaction to that is, and again, I'm outside of the industry completely, except for, for being a buyer. Uh, it feels like a David and Goliath situation that you're running up against. I mean, a, a consumer's impression is the dealers are, you know, Goliath, and it's hard to crack mm -hmm. that nut. 
Is that a reasonable statement? Oh, ab absolutely it is. Uh, and and, and it, it is that way because the dealers do this every day. And the consumers, in most cases, are looking to get a car every three or four years. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to be as well-versed in the techniques that dealerships use in order to uh, get a customer to say yes. Um, you know, as I used to say to customers, they go, oh, my God, this is this is so hard. And, and I go and I would look at them. And I go, yeah. But imagine having to try and do this eight to 10 times a day as opposed to <laughs> once every two or three years. Um, and it and it really shouldn't have to be that way. I remember in the late 80s, I was working for a Nissan dealership outside of Atlantic City, New Jersey. And we were building a whole new facility. And I said to the owner, I said, what do you think of the idea that we break down the barriers that we always insist that there are when it comes to how we deal with customers? Instead of us having desks and us sitting on one side and the customer sitting in the other, why don't we have like coffee tables and chairs and love seats and we could just sit around and have a conversation about the car and break down all those barriers? And, and he looked at me like I was out of my <laughs> mind. Um, but truth be told, in 1986, I knew that was the, the direction that it should be going. Um, it's just that most dealers were were unwilling then and most are still unwilling today to uh, to actually do things and look at it through the customer's eyes instead of through their own i, I can tell you from experience that when it comes to how dealers think the customers want things the dealers think, well, we know better than the customer does. And, and so they absolutely positively refuse to even think in terms of how the customer might perceive something because, damn it, we know better than you do. Trust us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So do you consider yourselves disruptors? I mean, I, one of the things I was thinking of as you asked my dad that last question, and it ties in with this as well. Yes. I kind of boasted as the people, we raised venture capital, $5 million, right? Look at us. Yeah. Bob, think about how many billions of dollars are invested in dealer facing solutions. <laughs> like, yeah, we're disruptors. Who else is doing what we're doing? There's plenty of people. Let's be clear. There are plenty of, I'll call them educators or influencers. You know, we're not the only people with a YouTube channel that has 100,000 subscribers. We're not the only people on TikTok that get millions of views. There are people educating. I think to, to truly position ourselves as consumer advocates, be outside of the industry and say that as, as a group, we can come together as a community and we can enact change. Yeah, we're disruptors. No one's doing that. No one's trying to put the same spin on it that we are. And, um, and it's absolutely necessary. If, if, if we're not going to do it, it'll never change. And, and I, I, would, I would like to think we're disruptors. I would like to think that when I was actively involved in the industry, um, that I was a disruptor. I, I would I would like to think that what I thought back in the late 80s, that we should do away with the desks and the artificial barriers that we created to pit one against the other, um, that, that it should be uh, 
conversational and less adversarial and that we should all be working together towards the common goal of selling a car or buying a car. Um, I'd like to think I was a disruptor back then. But the, the problem was, is that I, I, I was in a small area and could only influence one dealer. And now, um, you know, we're, we're influencing many dealers and, uh, and educating millions of consumers. And I, I want to hit on something that we're both very passionate about, which is YAA doesn't stand for your, our adversary. Oh, I thought of that off the top. Very good. Okay. We are not into creating conflict. There are actually two prior examples of what we've done in automotive. The first one would be, believe it or not, my dad sold trucks, not cars, but trucks before there were window stickers. Yes. Okay. Federally mandated window stickers, Monroney labels, research it, go to our website, do the whole thing. You were probably very upset. And I'm sure your, your team members way back when in the early eighties, when this was late seventies, early eighties, you're probably really pissed off. What do you mean? The customer is now going to know what this truck costs. Because now I can't just mark the price up. But the efficiencies gained from the consumer having more information were worth it, right? They're not coming back, you know, hollering at you a week later. If, if I may, we were even more pissed off when Al Gore invented the internet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that gave people more information than we knew what to do with. So hear me out here. Carfax. You sold cars before there were Carfaxes. Uh, absolutely. Of course you did, right? Yeah. Dealers across the world pissed off that the, you mean the customer is going to know what's wrong with the vehicle before we sell to them? Yeah, because you know what happens? You build some efficiency there. You get rid of some of the overhead associated with selling someone a clunker, and then they come back a week later trying to, right? No one's been able to crack. True car was the closest, but no one's been able to crack the code on, well, how do we know we're getting a fair price? People don't want the best deal. They don't want to, you know, you know some people want to, you know, beat the dealer up. People just want it to be fair and to be like, Equitable. I keep using the word equitable. YAA is threading that needle. It's like Carfax. It's like Monroney stickers. It's just give, mm. there will be a time when dealerships are sharing YAA reports with customers instead of customers walking in with YAA reports because they just want the customer to know you're not getting, you're not, we're, we're not going to go give each other attaboys in the back office after this. You know, it's a fair deal for all of us involved. That's what we're working towards. Yeah, we, we don't we don't want everybody high fiving and 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 booking their month long vacation to the Maldives after they've made their last car sale. So that's what we're trying to avoid. So you've touched on so many elements of what our listeners are challenged with every day, and one of those is. Well, certainly convincing executive leadership to, to think in terms of the customer and put the customer of the center at the center of everything they do as an organization. But the second component is, if I invest in the customer experience and I do what my customer wants me to do as an organization, I'm going to lose money. And so the, the return on investment conversation that many of our listeners are engaged in these days is you've got to invest to get the reward, but the pushback from the from the boardroom is we can't, we won't, uh, we can't put our finger on what the ROI is on the experience. And so we're out of here. And and I hear that coming through and what some of the dealer hesitation might be is to shift more towards the customer. I won't make as much money as opposed to thinking in terms of better loyalty, that fairness component is going to produce more 
profit for them in the long run, maybe short-term versus long run. Am I anywhere in the ballpark there to, in terms of what our listeners are challenged with? If, if I, let me put it into perspective this way, if I can. Um, I'm originally from Philadelphia. And in Philadelphia, there's the Southeast Pennsylvania Transportation Authority, SEPTA. And every time SEPTA needed to raise money, they would raise fares. And every time they would raise fares, ridership would go down. So my theory was, well, instead of raising fares, what if they lowered fares so that they could encourage more people to ride their, the public transportation, they would actually end up be bringing in more revenues because they'd have more ridership. And I think the same can apply to a dealership. In, instead of raising prices, instead of charging people more, lower prices to encourage more people to utilize it. And that's where I think the challenge becomes, especially as more and more of the public dealer groups out there, which are growing dramatically, um, eat up more and more of the mom and pop dealerships. It becomes, how do we, how do we get that to translate into higher stock values for our stockholders, as opposed to really what's the best long-term plan for the business? Everything today seems to be short-term and, and, and how, does it, how does it impact the investors? <clears throat> Makes sense to me, Ray. And well, it can't make sense because nobody does it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, good point. Good point. <laughs> uh, but if they did, we'd all be better off for sure. That, I think. Yeah, and 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 again, as as a listening audience of customer experience professionals, they're faced with very same situation. Very, especially in publicly traded companies where the quarterly earnings are the are the driving force. So I'm going to ask two questions um, of you both. One, the first one is, you know, a broad view of where are we going? I mean, skyrocketing used car prices, no, no chips, no inventories, all this. And by the way, listeners, go to their YouTube channel. You can get educated on all of this. And they're, they're, it's absolutely in, enjoyable to watch and learn from Zach and Ray on their YouTube channel. But you know, maybe broadly, what's your view? And then, and then I'd like to be more specific about the business of YAA and where you where you're taking it. Well, broadly, as far as the uh, the chips and and the vehicle shortages are concerned, um, we recently had David Chow on. David is a a supply chain expert out of Canada, and. David is the first person that we've actually spoken to um, that sees light at the end of the tunnel and 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 doesn't see it as an oncoming train. Um, he 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 seems to believe that a lot of the chip issues and supply chain issues uh, will be greatly impacted by the end of this year or the first quarter of next year. So that within the next nine to twelve months we would be back to almost what he would call normal, uh, historically normal in the past. Um, until that happens, yes, challenges are gonna remain as far as uh, enough supply to meet demand. Um, and part of the issue that we try to address that I keep trying to address with people is that 
only those who absolutely positively need a car should be in the market to buy a car right now. If, if your reason for buying a car is because you want something, not because you need something, then that's just going to continue to perpetuate the higher prices that are being charged. Um, everything is based on consumer demand. If the consumers, if, if American consumers could control themselves a little better at the moment and put off a purchase that's just a want as opposed to a need, then we might see um, some prices coming down. Um, and that's, that's what we proclaim all the time. Um, I, sadly, not enough people listen. We don't realize the power we have as consumers, do we, Ray? The, 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 the power is in numbers. Mm -hmm. and, and if the vast majority of people say, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore, or I'm not going to pay these prices anymore, and they take themselves out of the market, uh, then that will cause dealers and manufacturers to rethink their positions as far as inventory levels are concerned. Now, for our business, Bob, the way that we're thinking about things is, um, well, the customer experience of buying a vehicle, that's pretty pretty, uh, pretty challenging still and, and honestly exacerbated by what's going on right now. But we also see an opportunity within maintenance and repairs and heck, even selling your car to make it as, as fair as possible as well. And so a lot of what we're doing back at, at joinyaa.com, we're focused on serving our customers, which is great because again, we set up our business in a way where our revenue comes from consumers, not from, from any other third parties, any other partners. So every day we're talking to people just like yourself, consumers who are out there, whether they've got questions about how do I make sure I get a fair price on this repair? How do I avoid uh, overpaying on maintenance? How do I sell my car and get the most money possible? Or of course, you know, I can't find any inventory. Can you help me locate the best deal? And we're servicing that, whether it's talking to our car coaches, we're experimenting and, and exploring offering a full service again, like we did two years ago and, and trying to make that happen once more, giving people the tools and resources they need, continuing to make them more robust. Those are the things that we're doing. Um, and we're looking forward to, you know, right now we've, we've had, last year we had over 10,000 paying members join YAA, uh, which was an incredible milestone we sit around our office and we think about how do we get that to be a hundred thousand, you know, at the end of this year, this is um, as many of many, many commenters have told us before, this is stuff we should be taught in high school. Um, all right. We charge, we charge 1999 a month or $99 a year, but it's, you know, it's worth it. It's worth it. Mm -hmm. And, and Zach, tell me a little bit about the additional services you're talking about expanding into. Are those being generated from your customers? Are those being generated from yourselves? How, are, how is all that coming to be? Because, again, those are all things that we as a consumer uh, want to have and need to have to be educated on, on our auto and our auto repairs and services and so forth. Well, I mean, we're constantly engaging and listening to, to our audience. Um, you know, user research, customer research, um, that's a huge, it's the lifeblood of, of our organization. Um, we, I'm, I'm thinking back to beginning of this year when we had our team kickoff and we had slides in our deck talking about how, you know, learnings from the marketing team are learnings for the product team, learnings for the product team are learnings for the marketing team. So we're constantly 
capturing information, whether it be, so for example, our car coaches are live chatting with people who are sitting in dealerships. Okay, Mario, what are you learning about this customer that you're talking to right now? And how do we surface that to Catherine, our head of product design? Okay, Catherine, you know, sees it. How does that get to James, our, our, our content creator? Like our organization exists to listen to people then obviously as professionals, we have to interpret and find patterns and then use a bit of our own forward thinking. We're making decisions and we're making investments in, in certain areas. Now, that being said, we know that if we offered, if we fished for someone instead of that teaching them how to fish, we know a lot of people just want the convenience. So we're not offering it at the time you're listening to this, but it's on our radar, that's for sure. <laughs> well, and again, you, you've touched on something that a lot of our listeners are working on, and that is the voice of the customer and, and responding to that voice. But I think what is so intriguing about how you, how you talk about that is sometimes we make it so difficult and, and, and I'm not suggesting that what you're doing isn't difficult, but by incorporating um, the voice of the customer, by sharing information across different functions like product development and marketing, it really does create a better experience for our customers and, and improves that overall experience that a customer has. And, and like I said, it, it sounds simple. I know it's complicated, but yet we seem to make it more complicated in organizations across a lot of different industries. And, and you know, I'm sure many of your listeners are already familiar with this. We use Dovetail to capture and, and track and uh, collaborate across all the user research that we have. And, and I think they very recently raised like a $50 million Series A, which is crazy bonkers to think about. But anyway, I mean, there are companies in the space that are now building tools to help make user research collaborative throughout an organization. You know, there's a lot of design tools, there's development tools, there aren't a lot of research tools or, or UX, CX tools. Um, and so there are more that are kind of starting to sprout up and inculcating that in your culture from, from day one helps. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are sitting in companies that have been around for a hundred years. So it's, it's pretty tricky to, to do that, but even within your own function, within an org, um, you know, there's an opportunity to start to, to build that, that voice of the customer. And we, we would not be where we are um, if it weren't for, for having started with that first YouTube video, building the audience, building the trust, and then engaging with that consumer, engaging with that member to learn more about their experience. And of course, the best parts of your YouTube uh, videos are when your dad kind of uh, gets into it with you and other guests. It's, it's uh, hilarious to watch and, <laughs> and really fun. Um, it's not your typical YouTube for sure. Um, we could talk all day, Ray and Zach, and thanks for joining me on the All Things Considered CX podcast. But I always ask my guests the same final question, and that is, what are words of wisdom you can share with our listeners? Oh my God, words of wisdom that, that we can share with it. Well, um, that's called vamping, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. No, it's, no I, well, I'm thinking of a couple of our shirts. Uh, one is that knowledge is power, but, but mm. the truth of the matter is that's not the case. Knowledge is important. Applied knowledge is power. If, if you have the knowledge and you don't know how to apply it, then there's no power in that knowledge. So, so learn as much as you can about the car buying experience. Take some of the teachings that we offer and actually apply that when you go about 
buying your next vehicle. And the other the other words of wisdom are uh, if it's if it's taxable, it's negotiable. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take I'll take a little less of a car or a vehicle specific <laughs> approach. Um, play the long game would be would be the the words of wisdom, which I'm too young to have words of wisdom, but that's what goes through my mind. Um, commit to, to, you know, sacrifice something today to have the reward tomorrow. That's how we think a lot about building our business. That's how we think a lot about living our lives. Uh, and I think that's the way that you best serve others is by playing the long game and really putting their interests in front of your own. And ultimately, I think it'll pay off. Let's hope. Outstanding. Outstanding words of wisdom. And they're ageless, sacks. so don't, don't apologize <laughs> for words of wisdom. I got carded at the blackjack table a couple of weeks ago when we were in Vegas. And I was so happy about it. When I was younger, Bob, I used to get pissed off about yes, that. Now oh, I'm happy. Now I'll take don't. it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Isn't it, isn't it strange how our attitudes change when we get older? <laughs> I love it. Uh, this has been great, Zach and Ray Shevska. Thanks for joining me today. Um, listeners, check their YouTube out. Check out their organization, YAA. It's, it's uh, really good. It'll be really helpful to you. You'll enjoy the, the YouTubes and you'll enjoy um, being a smarter consumer when you buy, as, as Zach said, the second largest financial purchase of your lifetime. So gentlemen, thanks for your time. This has been another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. I've been your host, Bob Asman, if you've enjoyed this video, please this podcast, please share it with members of your network. And as always, stay tuned for our next podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.